0: Pray for us, but why don't you flip over to Second Chronicles 24. We'll be looking at the end of that chapter, Second Chronicles 24. Lord, we do, again, just come before you, asking you now to speak through your word. We thank you for preserving for us uh, a written record as well as direct testimony. We thank you for inspiring the scriptures. And so we ask now that we might hear the words of your son Jesus to us, even even as we read and, and listen in this moment. We ask this all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So if you, you look at Second Chronicles 24, starting in verse 20, we find a very, very familiar scene. If, you, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, with the Old Testament, a very familiar scene. prophet of God calls out a sinful, rebellious people, and the king has him silenced permanently. It's so familiar because it, it happened so often uh, in the period of the, the divided kingdoms. You'll remember in the Bible, in the books of Kings and Chronicles, each king is introduced with a summary assessment of his reign, whether he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or whether he did not. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah had 20 different monarchs during its existence, and only eight of them, only eight were described in the Bible as good kings. And none of the 19 kings of the northern kingdom were described as good. So 39 rulers between the two kingdoms and only 8 were good. Only 8 were faithful to God. And so the Lord repeatedly sent prophets, divine spokespeople, to deliver the very words of God, to call the people to repentance, to turn them back to faithfulness, especially the kings. And the kings would toss them in prison. They would execute them, anything to silence them. And so, in Second Chronicles 24, we have what looks like a textbook case of this. Starting in verse 20, we read, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Same old story. Except this time, King Joash, the king who commanded Zechariah's murder, his actions are especially heinous. Your little ESV heading labels this section, Joash's treachery. Our our particular verse for meditation tonight is verse 22, which summarizes Joash's execution of Zechariah in this way. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Joash's murder of Zechariah the prophet was a betrayal. It is a particularly twisted betrayal, one of the worst recorded in scripture. But what adds an interesting underline to the whole event is that Joash was one of the eight good kings. One of the only eight rulers of the 39 to be described as who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Joash, a good king, and not economically good or politically good or good at international policy, but good in the most important sense. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That same Joash commits one of the worst betrayals recorded for us in the Bible. So we're going to meditate on Joash's betrayal tonight, the betrayal committed by a good king. How is it that this good king betrayed Jehoiada the priest, betrayed even God himself? This is a warning to ourselves as Christians. Our meditation tonight is aimed at the faithful. Now, it's true that atheists betray God, but that's not the focus tonight. The focus tonight is not on the treachery of the rebellious and the open rejectors of God, but rather the danger of the faithful turning traitor. Joash's story is a warning for all of us here who consciously seek to be faithful to God. That conscious commitment to God does not mean we are safe from grossly betraying his people and even God himself. So we're going to do three things tonight to help us meditate on verse 22. We'll set the stage by recalling the whole story, highlighting, just as a reminder, why Joash's betrayal is particularly horrible. I'm not just saying that. It is. Then we'll think about how it came to be that he committed such a gross sin. I mean, what happened? Did, did he just go crazy? Did, does the text give us any clues? Then finally, we'll consider how this applies to us in light of the vengeance that Zechariah calls for at the end of the verse. So look again at the verse itself, verse 22. It says, The king did not remember the kindness Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but he killed his son. What was this kindness that the narrator is talking about? What makes Joash's betrayal so especially heinous? Well, there are five elements of Jehoiada's kindness that when uh, when they're fresh in our minds, they make this murder of Jehoiada's son especially disgusting. Number one, Joash, the king, was saved by Jehoiada. You remember, Joash's father, King Ah -ah 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 Ahaziah, had died. And his grandmother, Athaliah, she enacted a murderous coup. She took over when her son died. She killed off the royal family, the males, her grandchildren, and she took over. Joash was around one years old at the time. He was a baby. And the only reason he survived is because his aunt and her husband, Jehoiada the priest, hid him. Jehoiada, Joash's uncle by marriage, risked his life to hide him in the temple. Which leads to number two, Joash was raised by Jehoiada. Jehoiada kept Joash safe for six years in the temple, protecting him, raising him, treating him like his own. Jehoiada protected and provided for this baby who was not related to him by blood. And if it wasn't for Jehoiada, Joash would have remained in hiding his whole life. Because number three, Joash was made king by Jehoiada. He was crowned by him. We read in 2 Chronicles 23... In the seventh year, that is, in the seventh year of Joash being in hiding, Jehoiada, the priest, took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jehoram, Ishmael the son of Jehonanan, Azariah the son of Obed, Masiah the son of Adiah, and Elal the son of Zikri. And they went about through Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of fathers' houses of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son, let him reign, as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. Jehoiada, it says, took courage. Jehoiada, the priest, mustered the people, composed mostly of Levites and priests. And as the account continues, they install as king and execute Athaliah, the usurper. The only reason Joash was king at all is because of Jehoiada's bravery and faithfulness, his trust in God and God's covenant with David. And after installing Joash as king, number four, Joash was served by Jehoiada. Jehoiada was a faithful high priest close to the king, serving him faithfully for the rest of his days. Second Chronicles notes right at the beginning of the summary of Joash's reign in beginning of chapter 24, Jehoiada got for Joash two wives, and he had sons and daughters. Now don't get hung up on the polygamy or potential polygamy in the verse. The point is that Jehoiada was so close and faithful in his service to Joash that he was responsible for his marriages and his children. And number five, Joash was taught by Jehoiada. Jehoiada was close to Joash as a spiritual advisor. He guided him in the ways of the Lord. While Joash was king, he oversaw a major temple renovation, a reform that reestablished faithful Yahweh worship. It mentions that after Joash's temple rebuilding and reform, that the people offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord regularly all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, of course, they were supposed to be doing that according to the law, but the point was before Joash, that had stopped. They hadn't been doing it. But worship was restored during his reign, and there was prosperity because of Jehoiada's faithful teaching. In fact, in both the books of Kings and Chronicles, Joash's positive assessment right at the beginning of the description of his reign is keyed to Jehoiada the priest. In Chronicles it reads, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. In 2 Kings, similarly, it says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. In fact, that line in 2 Kings could also be translated, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days while Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Given the elaboration in Chronicles, the latter is probably what's right. Joash's rule was good when Jehoiada was teaching him because Jehoiada was teaching him. Joash was saved by this priest. He was raised by this priest. He was made king by this priest. He was served by this priest. And he was taught and guided by this priest. And then this priest Jehoiada grows old and dies. And then Joash murders his son Zechariah, who remember was actually his 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 cousin, since Jehoiada was his uncle. One of the worst recorded betrayals in the Bible. So how did this happen? How did it come to be that Joash did this? How did this good king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord come to forget Jehoiada's kindness and murder Zechariah? Zechariah was a prophet priest who came, like all the prophets, to call the people out of idolatry, to warn and rebuke. And he he speaks in the plural when he, he speaks. He says, why do you all act unfaithfully to God? He's calling out the people. They conspire against him in verse 21. They, the people, conspired against him. And by the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. So why did Joash, a good king, give the command to have this prophet killed? Wouldn't you think that he would have applauded Zechariah's message, having led reforms himself? Well, not by this point. After Jehoiada had died, Joash began to stray. We read that he and the other leaders of Judah abandoned the house of Yahweh and they served idols. But how does this happen? Did he just wake up one day and decide, you know what, I'm going to change everything I've been doing, my entire ruling philosophy, my guiding principle of covenant faithfulness to God, and we'll just try some Baal worship now. Is that what goes on? Let's check out those Asherim and and see how that goes. We actually do have a clue in the text itself about what happened. Verse 17 is the key. 2 Chronicles 24, verse 17. Now after the death of Jehoiada the prince, after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. The king listened to them. These princes, these governors, they come, and the king listened to them. Why? Did you hear what it said? It says, the rulers came and they paid homage to the king, and that sounds kind of foreign, formal, and technical. This is not really a technical thing that's happening here. They they, they came and honored the king. There is a reason this detail is mentioned, right? This, this isn't just describing normal kingly respect or or court protocol, right? Like that sounds normal, right? I'm supposed to honor the king. It's not saying they just did the normal thing governors would do, like you you give a bow when you come into court. Right? Here, honoring, paying homage, bowing, in that sense, that's a normal thing you do, but that's not what the text is talking about. I mean, if that's all that was meant, the detail wouldn't be mentioned the way it is. Look at the text. They came and honored the king, and then he listened to them. Right? That's a, you're supposed to make that connection. In other words, he listened to them because of the honoring. This type of honoring that the text is describing is more, more than just normal respect for his station. Their honoring of him is what incited him to listen to them. They came, and they they puffed up the king. The, The word for honor here is a very strong word. It also regularly means worship. The text is making the point that they puffed him up. They praised him. They made him feel good about him. And so he was willing to listen to them. Christians, when the world hurls insults at you, there is temptation, sometimes strong temptation, to betray Christ in order to avoid the pain. But sometimes when the world heaps praises on you, there is even stronger temptation to betray Christ in order to continue the pleasure. There is a reason Jesus said, and Samuel cited in his prayer of confession this morning, woe to you when people speak well of you. Or John, who described many people as believing Jesus intellectually, but not following him because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Joash forgot Jehoiada. He betrayed him because Joash was filled with praises of Joash. And it was intoxicating. You may find in your life that the praises of man and your desire to preserve those praises will provide the greatest temptation you ever face to betray Christ. So if you recognize that possibility existing in the remnants of your flesh, even now, how do you respond? A text ends with a warning, right? It ends with these words at the end of verse 22. When Zechariah was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. This wasn't a vindictive, bitter cry for revenge. This was a spirit-filled, faith-filled cry for justice. an outcry much like the saints in Revelation, crying out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And in Zechariah's case, we see God fulfill this cry for vengeance in Joash's life. The Syrians attack, and our passage continues and says, Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. And when they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. The Lord is a God of justice, and he will not overlook gross betrayal. However, the prophet priest Jesus, also betrayed and unjustly murdered by a ruling class that wanted to shut him up so they could preserve their own glory, offers first a word of mercy. Jesus, who is the very judge that Zechariah appealed to for justice, offers first a word of mercy. He sees that treachery that exists in our hearts and he prays, Father, forgive them. The blood of Christ speaks to us a better word. As long as Jesus is speaking, there is still time for mercy. And Jesus is still speaking, even now in and through this word here in Chronicles. It's one of the reasons why we have it. This account of Joash's betrayal is preserved for us. It's an example of Jesus extending mercy by way of negative example. So if you heard this, if you read this text, and and you recognize in yourself these tendencies toward the love of glory from man, and, and you identify temptations to betray Christ, or even ways that you subtly or outright already have, the word to you tonight is to admit that, to own it, and then trust Christ and the forgiveness he secured by dying the death you deserve. Marvel at the merciful way he responded in his own unjust death. C. Fear the ultimate end if you nurse the treachery in your heart, but rejoice and be confident in the merciful Savior, seeking you out even now through Chronicles to provide forgiveness and cleansing. To paraphrase John, if we confess our love of self-glory, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all our treachery. Let's pray. Lord, we do confess that in our hearts there remains the remnants of desire for praise for man. And that if we do not address this, if your spirit does not address this in us, we would abandon you for that praise. And so we ask that you would help us to see the reality, the severity of um, gross and wicked betrayal that you would uh, impress upon us the seriousness of it the seriousness of the that tendency in our heart but we also thank you for your son we thank you that even when he was betrayed he offered a word of mercy and offers it even still now and so we pray that all of us would respond to that mercy with faith and confession and trust we ask this all in jesus name amen